It's a pleasure to meet with veteran musician Josh White. Thanks for coming to The Antidote, Josh. Yeah, glad to be here. According to Wikipedia, you've been in the music scene since 97, and you've created so much music, it's really sort of hard for me to know where to start. You okay if we do this chronologically? Yeah, sure. My first release actually was in 95, um, but my first signed release was in 97. Well, then take us back to that signed release. Was that when Telecast began? No, no. This is before I was a believer. Um, I was a part of the Seattle music scene. I actually signed to a record label here in Portland um, called Tim Kerr Records, which is now defunct. But it was a, it was essentially like Portland's sub pop. It was like the label that the Dandy Warhols and Everclear and maybe well-known in the Northwest, but not so much other places. But I signed there in 96 and then uh, it, that label was purchased by Mercury Records. And so my first release uh, was a band called Man Ray. And the record was called Casual Thinking. It came out on Mercury in, in September of 97. A lot of artists are embarrassed by their first release. Are you embarrassed by that? Uh, oh, I'm not embarrassed by it. It's funny, I always viewed myself as sort of like a Anglophile and, and a love of Britpop. And I, I think I thought it was more European sounding than it actually is. When I listen to it, it's very much a product of its time and the Northwest and the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, I'm like, uh, yeah, it still sounds like a classic 90s Gen X um, self-loathing rock record. <laughs> <laughs> With a little dash of new wave and glam thrown in for good measure. <laughs> you just don't seem to be like a glam type guy. Oh, I met my wife in full makeup and glitter. <laughs> I thought I was Ziggy Stardust. In fact, I showed the church that I pastored a picture of me when Darcy and I met. I'm like, this is proof that Jesus saves right here. Just look at that picture. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on a little bit. What about yeah. Telecast? What was the motivation for starting it? Yeah, I actually, I came to faith um, in 99. Um, and my wife two years after me, but in that two years between me coming to faith and my wife Darcy coming to faith, I got involved in this um, this little church in Seattle. The pastor and I became friends, and he asked me if I would consider doing the music. Uh, church culture was so foreign to me that I couldn't get my head around what was happening musically when I would go. And so I would usually just show up for the sermon and then leave uh, I would show up after the worship had ended and before the worship would start again mm. uh, until my pastor, John, you know, took me out to lunch. And then he kind of got my background and said, well, we need help. And as a little Calvary Chapel, which was like, you know, the kind of one of the big West Coast, like Jesus movement. Yeah, churches. exactly. And so, I, you know, they were, they were still stuck in like 80s Maranatha. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and maybe an occasional vineyard song or something. And so I... I didn't know what to make of it. So when he asked me to lead worship, I reluctantly, I mean, he pressured me for almost a year and I finally said yes. And so I hated everything that they were singing. So I just literally just sat down and, and just started writing. I learned some songs that I liked and then I, I started writing almost immediately. And so the first Sunday I led worship, I introduced eight new songs, <laughs> which I didn't know you shouldn't do that to a church. <laughs> I was so green. Um, 
but it ended up resonating with the people pretty quickly over time. And then the, the owner of Tooth and Nail, Brandon Ebel, um, and a bunch of the Tooth and Nail staff, um, Aaron Sprinkle, who produced the first telecast record, and um, all the poor old Lou guys, which was like one of the first like alternative Christian bands, uh, they, they were all a part of that church. And so Brandon approached me um, right when my wife became a believer and asked me if I would make a worship album that sounded like Coldplay. I said, that sounds fun. I thought my music career was over and that I was just going to make this record for the church. And right when he offered me a record deal, my reputation as a songwriter in the Calvary movement expanded a little bit. And I got a call from a big Calvary chapel in Spokane, Washington, and they were looking for a worship pastor. And so I literally ended up being a pastor after only being a believer for two years. And my wife had only been a believer for six months. Uh, And we moved to Spokane and Ken Ortiz, the lead pastor, his son, Brian was like a part of the whole like Christian emo scene and him and a bunch of his friends, they were all about 10 years younger than me asked if they could lead worship with me. And I knew I was going to do a solo album for tooth and nail. And so they, I ended up instead forming telecast and I did exactly what he asked. I created a worship album that sounded at least musically similar to, to kind of the Brit pop at that time. (laughs) In that album, The Beauty of Simplicity, that came out on BEC. Yeah. And I've never figured out what label to give the band. Like, was BEC wanting to market you as a rock band or worship? They wanted to market me as a worship band, for sure. BEC is, uh, just means Brandon Ebel Company. Um, so yeah, sure. It's, a, it's the more, like, openly Christian side of Tooth & Nail, essentially. Like, their target is Christian radio and a Christian listening audience. We probably were the first, because the, the bands at that time, Cutlass wasn't really doing worship music. Uh, Jeremy Camp, him and I were both from Calvary. Actually, Cutlass, Jeremy Camp, Telecast, um, Seven Places. We were all from the Calvary Chapel movement. So he's like, it's funny huh. he's signing all these guys. Um, but we were the ones that were the most blatantly like, congregational worship like uh, most of the songs in media simplicity were the songs that, that we were leading at calvary chapel spokane i mean i was writing in the context of being a worship pastor but it, i just was coming at it from a different angle because i didn't have the christian background so from my vantage point that was all very congregational <laughs> was that sound shaking people up or were they very accepting of it extremely accepting beauty of simplicity our first tour was with Jeremy Camp in 2003, and, and that tour went so well. I didn't think I would tour full-time. I just thought I was going to be a pastor, and I'll do some shows, but really, I just want to make music for the church. But the tour went so well that Ken's like, Josh, you spent your whole 20s as a non-Christian pursuing music, and now the Lord's giving it back to you, so go do it. And so I ended up touring almost all of 2003 and the first part of 2004, Um I think we did like close to like 250 shows wow. and and it, and it did really well because we were doing a mixture of tours like with David Crowder um, and Jeremy and seven play. Like we did a lot of different tours. Um, a lot of what we were doing was playing at churches. Um, and once we played once we were getting asked to come back and we did camps. And it was actually through that, that I really developed a kind of a heart for teaching. Cause for me, I was really struck by being on the road in the Christian music industry where most of the people in the industry had grown up in the church and the music Christian music industry was like almost like a 
platform to get out of the church or something. <laughs> and I was like, I went into it with my eyes open, knowing like they can say that we're a Christian Coldplay all they want, but we're not Coldplay. And why Christians are even concerned about attempting so hard to be cool. I, I'm, I don't even know if that's a part of Jesus' vocabulary. I just think we should be honest in the music we make, but it needs to point people to Jesus. And so, I mean, I was such a new believer and was so zealous and had been so radically saved that I think I became a little bit like a Keith Green type was, was probably a, a pain in everyone's butt because I was so aggressive in my proclamation <laughs> from the stage. I mean, enough so that more than a couple bands would be like, hey, can you talk about Jesus less and just play the music? <laughs> Where, and that's when I got enough people over the years saying, hey, I think you might be a preacher. Have you ever considered that? And I was like, you know, people keep saying it, but no, I haven't. I mean, I think I just read the Bible for the first time in its entirety. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, that year on tour was like this combination of just like endless songwriting, tons of exposure to every stream in the church. I mean, one night we'd be playing a hyper charismatic church in Georgia where people are convulsing on the floor under sheets. And the next night we were at John Piper's church and like the ultra reformed Calvinist church in Minneapolis. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm experiencing at this point. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was a really interesting year. And then at the end of that year, I just, I think I just kind of felt that burden where I was feeling a, the disconnect from my family. I missed my son's second and third birthday. And uh, my wife was feeling the wear and tear of me being gone at, at least 20 days a month. Um, and so, I mean, we were home an average of four days a month and I was 30 years old already. So I was like, I think that, this place for me is in the local church. And so I, I kind of blew up my career. I mean, it was, a, everyone was pretty frustrated with the label and the band because Beauty of Simplicity was like top 10 single for like eight months straight. And I think we had like already like 60 or plus shows on the books for 2005. And I actually made my booking agent cancel all of them. And I took a job at a church in California and uh, tooth and nail kept me, but they were not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did two more records as telecast. But if I got invited to Iceland, that sounded fun. And I would go do that. Or I did a show on an island in Norway with Striper. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't so, imagine that. Yeah, Striper and telecast together on one bill. Oh, it was Striper and telecast together in a Norwegian beach house with all these beautiful Scandinavians and Norway's the only place on earth I've been to where you're like, like, wow, I'm truly homely uh, compared to all these people. <laughs> and then Striper in the living room while everyone's eating Swedish pancakes and, and they're practicing to hell with the devil. Uh, acapella in the corner is amazing. It's the most surreal thing I've ever been a part of. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that third telecast album, Quiet Revolution. Yeah. Yeah. It includes what turned out to be probably the band's most popular song, Beautiful Mystery. A line from the song says, it's a beautiful mystery to love someone you can't see. Is mm -hmm. faith still a mystery for you today? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, as I always like to define faith, faith is allowing Christ to be for me and in me what I cannot be for myself, borrowing from Karl Barth or even better, Madrian Thomas's uh, great definition that faith is allowing the Holy Spirit to 
fill you with the adequacy of Jesus Christ. I think that there's a, you know, that, yeah, this, this implicit childlike trust. Unfortunately, like we live in an age which we try to harmonize faith and reason to the point where faith almost doesn't even make sense. And I think that there, there's a lot that we can understand, but there's a lot that we can't. And I think that the, that mystery is connected to revealed revelation in, in Jesus, but there's a mystery to it. And, and that, that's what creates what I, what I would refer to as sacred romance. And there's still a, just an incredible amount of wonder for me uh, in my chasing grace every day. <laughs> would you say that the intention of the music that you're creating is to bolster the christian believer or does it go beyond that i yeah i think that the primary focus of the song writing that i have done for the church uh since telecast ended i mean when i started door of hope in portland i think i just finished my 10th record in the last 10 years um, as far as writing albums go, but I've primarily, with the exception of the EP that I released for my wife, and then there's an EP that I have coming out that's a little more directed toward an exploration of faith. Uh, but for the most part, I would say 95% of the material that I've written has been specifically for the church and congregational use. I always have songs on the record that don't translate to that. Like the Pilgrim album was, <laughs> even though they're all worship songs, like that album. I tried playing it at church and people just stared at me like, what's going on? This is like, you can't do dance music. (laughs) I thought we could get away with anything at Dwarf Hope. And I realized that even there we had our boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny because that one has been one of the most popular albums I've done. I I think it has the most listened to single on Spotify, but but that's only because I I ended up getting used in a movie. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, I think that the music writing has been specifically a, to be a part of the worship experience of the believer. Well, I got into your music after the telecast days with your Pilgrim Project, and that was yeah. totally different. I mean, it's yeah. electropop style really grabbed me, but yeah. was that a natural music style for you? It definitely was. So like, I wanted to create a record that was reflective of what I loved when I was in high school. So that album is like a very nostalgic kind of return to my love of things like new order and my years as like a total club kid in high school i loved dancing and the beginning stages of techno music and i was a massive new wave fan so like (laughs) my favorite bands in high school were depeche mode new order and probably the cure (laughs) so i worked with my friend uh, josiah sherman he goes under the production named buddy ross um he's the guy that like has written most of the music for frank ocean's records mm-hmm. and so he's, he's become a huge artist in fact after the pilgrim record he called me he said he's like i love you josh but you will probably never be able to afford me again <laughs> 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 so like he did the new miley cyrus single and like yeah so i basically just gave him like essential like outlines of the songs like i recorded guitars and created basic beats and sang the vocals and then he took it and almost treated it like a remix record where he just deconstructed everything and then put it back together and uh, he's really brilliant unfortunately most of the christian music industry it's all produced out of one place which is nashville and so it always has a very specific sound which is extremely overproduced and super slick 
over the last 10 years um, of just having the freedom to do what I want, I've tended to work with producers or engineers that have no connection or history with that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) So, and which is, I think helped create a unique sound for deeper well and which is the label that we run out of the church and it's a lot of fun that's something i've really struggled to get into worship music itself yeah can worship music be you know both interesting and creative yeah i think it can i think one of the false premises is that often worship leaders fall into the trapping of is the idea of accessibility and what is singable um, and that this it just simply doesn't stand up because the bottom line is anyone that listens to the radio in the car like sings along with everything they hear. And historically, the church's hymnals were based on classical music. Have you looked at a Lutheran hymnal? I mean, there's a reason why they have like the one that people sings and then the one that nobody does because the complexity of the melodies is almost like impossible to grab a hold of. <laughs> um, and so I think it's a familiarity thing. I think that people, unfortunately, what they should be concerned with is what is the message of the song? What is it proclaiming? Is it overly self-referential? Is it theologically sound? Is it Jesus-centered? Those are the questions, but instead we're like, does it sound like Hillsong or does it sound like Bethel? And if it doesn't, then it must not be worship music. I mean, I think that we just can get, (laughs) we can just get so limited in our vision of like what it should sound like. I mean, Telecast, when we came out, was essentially doing what what in those movements now. But when we were doing it then, it was like, you know, that was considered unusual. And, you know, my whole thing was like, I just want to create music where there's no particular focus or emphasis on any one instrument, but really it just creates a whole encompassing sound that allows a person to get lost in the music. Obviously, I've played with kind of a, every style possible. I mean, to switch from Acor as a folk record to Wounded Healer, which is kind of like a 70s Laurel Canyon <laughs> um, <laughs> approach to worship. And that was done with my friend Eric Early, who's the lead singer of Blitz and Trapper. He had just become a believer. And so it was cool because Blitz and Trapper at that time was like probably the, one of the biggest bands in the Northwest. And uh, it was just fun to get like, once again, a totally fresh approach to to the music, which I just finished a new album with him that's going to come out in January. Yeah, that 70s Edge came out with the followers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But seriously, how did that translate into use in a church? That that record, the followers album, Wounded Healer, which I have, so I have management now that handles like music for me because I'm so busy as leading Door of Hope. So all of my albums over the last 10 years have been re-released under my name because I kept changing monikers every time I released a new project. And he's like, <laughs> Just to confuse like, people. Yeah, he goes, you have Pilgrim fans that don't even know that the followers or telecasts exist. You have Josh White fans. You have telecast fans. You're like, you kind of need to bring your fan base together. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> so, so, so what we've done is just released everything under Josh White, and then it's just Josh White, the followers, Josh White, Wounded Healer, Josh White, Pilgrim. Um, so, so I, I think it's a little, it has been helpful, especially in where most people listen to music now through through Spotify or Apple Music. It's such a weird age. I mean, nobody buys music anymore; they buy memberships. Uh, so, <laughs> um, unless they're buying vinyl. <laughs> so uh, that record. The Followers Wounded Healer album, 
that album is actually like the most robust look at what door of hope's congregational worship sounds like that record sounds like what our music sounds like at our church you know there's a couple songs that we don't do that are like the one i sing completely in falsetto uh that's not gonna fly but yeah like the song wounded healer almost every song off that record yeah the, the only record i've made that really didn't work congregationally was the pilgrim record but even that one there's a few songs that i reworked them to kind of sound a little more like wounded healer which worked like the song Surrender. Yeah. You also brought in another style with this bluegrass vibe on your solo album, Acor. Yeah. All these different genres has me wondering, like, who is the real Josh White? <laughs> yeah. The real Josh White is, a. I think I'm old enough now that I can officially call myself a Renaissance man. I just, I just like music. And so I only make music in the genres that I, I personally listen to. And, and the eclecticness of the sound is very reflective of my eclectic listening base. I, I definitely spend at least a couple hours a week exploring everything new that's coming out. I'm, I'm always intrigued with where music is going. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but it seems to be endless variations of everything that has been done. And so that's always been something of intrigue to me. And even before I was a believer, that was actually one of the things that I think helped me as an artist and also hurt me as an artist is that I love so many genres of music that even the first Man Ray record, it would like go from like a total power pop song to a extremely heavy, almost verging on metal to something dancey and glammy. And so I, I think, I think I've always been a bit schizophrenic when it comes to my musical taste. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, you brought out Absolution a new recording yeah. of previously released Josh White's songs. It also yeah. includes Sweet Peace. And the song says, Oh Jesus, meet me in this dark unknown. I'm falling apart. Don't leave me alone. Does this mean that even the great Josh White can have doubts? No. Well, of course I have doubts, but I actually wrote that song for my friend Craig, who came to faith at our church. Six months after he became a believer, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor and he lived five years i walked through that with his family and him and his wife are new believers but i, I never met a person that reflected the beauty of transformative faith the way that he did and maybe it was because everything that he held dear he was about to lose um but he maintained this wonder and this faith but he also was really honest with his fear of dying and the last month of his life he had called me and he was really scared and he had, he had just been told he would only had three weeks to live. And so I wrote him that song as a personal worship song to help him through the one unknown that each one of us have to go through one at a time, which is death. And he literally made me play him that song. Like, I don't even know. I think I would play it. must have played it for him like 200 times. Cause I would, I would spend time with him almost every day the last few weeks. And, and every time I'd play it, he could barely talk toward the end, but he would just go, that was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, but I think it captures every prayer should begin with the most honest prayer in the Bible. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So that was really kind of an exploration of that is like courage is not the eradication of fear, but faith in spite of it, the trusting into the, into the dark, you know. But yes, I've had 
plenty dark nights of the soul, especially as a lead pastor in a city like Portland. <laughs> she had a church for 10 years filled with a bunch of self-conscious millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, you collaborated on the Josh White and Josh Girls EP. What a great idea, because the two of you have such great voices. But how oh, did- yeah, I, I think I think his voice is like an angel, and then I just sound like a mere mortal uh, next to him. <laughs> but yes, it, I, I I I love working with Josh. <laughs> well, you got to bring some humanity into this, don't you? <laughs> That's right. Like I, I bring the fallen element. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did the idea of the project come about? Well, um, he was an elder actually at Door of Hope for years. They were a part of the church for seven. Uh, him and Michelle before they moved. Um, and so right before we recorded it, they were moving back. At first, we were just thinking it would be fun, like we each do a song of the other for just like a fundraiser for Deeper Well, because the way that Deeper Well has always functioned is we just give our records away for free. So there's no profit in it. I mean, we're having to rethink the way we do the label now because of because of the way the music industry has changed. But Josh is like, why don't we just do an EP then? And so I wrote Spirit Resurrect as the new original for it. And then I did two of Josh's songs, um, Children's Song and uh, Don't Wait For Me. And then Josh did my song, Forgiven. It's funny, he did Forgiven, which is on the Pilgrim album, but he did it the way we played at the church. And he would always lead that song, and I just loved his voice on it. And then his favorite song of mine is Enclosed By You. Josh was in the process of moving, so I just basically said, I'll have my band that plays with me. We'll, We'll do all the recording, tracking of the music. So he did like a rough track of himself playing guitar and vocals. And then we took a click track and then got it to us. And then here in Portland, um, the band recorded to Josh's scratch tracks, essentially. And then after all the music was done, then I sent him all the tracks back to Indianapolis. We did like rough mixes and he did final vocals. It was a super fun project. Well, you've already been mentioning a couple times about new recording. So what's the plan for that? And when are we going to see it? So I actually am I'm sitting on two new finished projects. So I have, a, I have an EP that's coming out called Holy Haunt. I would say like musically, it's more like the first followers record. It's, it's actually kind of like a return to like toward what I had wanted Telecast to sound like, but was kind of prevented from allowing it to go there because of the limitations of kind of the Christian music industry as being like, that's too sonically out there for a Christian audience. And so it almost has like a kind of shoegazy kind of quality. It's like very huge guitars, really reverby, like uh, just very, very lush. Uh, And there's three songs on it that we do as worship songs of the church, the song called mercy, the song, Holy haunt, and then another song called everything is something. But then I just recorded a worship album that is kind of like the counterpart to Wounded Healer. I, after doing the Gerald's record, I wanted to do another duet album. And so there's a young woman at our church named Holly Ann, and she just has just a magic voice. And, and she's a great songwriter. And so she wrote two songs for the record, and then I wrote seven. And it's totally a congregational worship album. So I'm so excited for it. It's really cool. It's a really, and we're already doing like four or five songs off it at the church. Yeah, I wanted to kind of get away from just doing things that are maybe a little more like kind of standalone, where other worship leaders hear them and they're like, I don't know how to do this at my church. This one, this record's very like, 
digestible. And it, it also has that really fun kind of 70s Southern California, Laurel Canyon vibe, um, but really singable and a lot of like group vocals. And um, Holly and I basically do duets on like almost every song. So it's really, it's really fun. So it almost all sounds like spirit resurrect, like vocally, where we'll switch back and forth between verses or we're both singing at the same time. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a really super fun album to do. That's going to come out in January. We've got lots yeah. to look forward to. Yeah. And I'm working on a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I try to keep myself as busy as possible. <laughs> I know there's a million books coming out right now on the need for rest, but I kind of, I sort of had the, the idea that I have eternity for that. So time is, <laughs> time is short. I just always, I always immediately claim um, ignorance and that Jesus is my rest. So I, I'm just going to keep busy. <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, Josh, man, I really appreciate you taking time for the antidote. Thanks for coming for this talk. Yeah, thank you for having me.